Hey folks, welcome to episode 47 of the Becoming Human podcast, and I am your galactic overlord, Will Nelson. This is a two-part series. This is the first part, where I sit down with my teammates and coach from Livewire MMA to talk about their preparation, motivations, and lessons learned from Proving Grounds, a submission-only jiu-jitsu tournament in Seattle, Washington. In part one, I talked to Matt Coble on the experience of coaching adults, children, and ourselves. Six years ago, he opened his own gym, Livewire MMA, out of Burlington, Washington. We also talked on his learning process and the value of community. I find it fascinating to listen to the progression of a teacher, regardless what discipline it is. Especially some since Matt has taught people from a young age, so anyone between 5 to 13, and then adults, 13-year-olds and even 50-year-olds, for instance, 60-year-olds. Matt's hosting a submission tournament at Livewire MMA on March 31st in 2018 for you uh, future folk. <laughs> for more information, you can find the link to his gym in the show notes. I've been at Livewire for two years. And getting to become a part of a community where the primary focus is to be a better version of ourselves, to sharpen our dull edges, and to progress within the realm of a given discipline, has fulfilled me in unexpected ways. I've experienced this in many sports communities, like trail running, rock climbing, BMX, and even the arts. For example, at an art retreat like Isle Wild, on this small island in the Puget Sound, and these people come together from all over the world, but with the common goal of trying to be a better artist, to put on a more fun show. (laughs) I never understood the idea of meaning or purpose when I was younger. But I have a little bit better understanding now. It's life. So much fun. I've never expected to find myself competing in martial arts. However, the friends, lessons learned, emotional, physical sensations, and just the process of it all. It's so much fun. And the rabbit hole is never ending. I mean... Where, whereas I'd watch a movie, it would be over in an hour, and I hope that they'd write a new series, or they'd write another movie, a sequel, or I'd play a video game, like Assassin's Creed, and I'd want them to make another, but as they made more, and as I played it more, it lost its value to me. However, pursuing disciplines and trying to get better at things, and navigate my own mind and the communities around that discipline, it only gets better as I continue. Try to live life tireless Instability, no traction Slide and skid when tireless I suggest cleaning up my act As I'm a mess Maybe don't have an act to clean Be yourself Don't be quite as stressed Every morning when I get dressed And face the day Inquire stretching Hey, what time is it? Sigh reminded I could make this statement Though there's life in it Time is death I take a great lung full of air Fear with no comfort aware It all fades away Someone out there will make the claim We have forever and a day But we're forever getting chased By our ending day At a neck-breaking pace A breathtaking fate that is several steps away I am less afraid of attenuating progressive age or devil snakes or heaven's gates more petrified of when I left my life I never led my life and let my life get defined as collected waste and never paved a legacy left behind to justify the months that I took up space watch an atomic clock go on and on yet it never stays nervousness I stress and say I'm in a deficit and I've got debts to pay listen to my pocket watches mocking talk definitely set to detonate chronological bomb but all in all life is not 
so hard, walk along and decorate it with the friends you make. Box of chocolates, farmers thought life is sweet. We are teeth, we enjoy it, then decay. But I'm alarmed, life's a Wonka bar. Some got tickets, the rest just ate. Incessant ticking, and in my restless days, I long for eternity like a resting eight. But there be no urgency with time in an arrested state. If seeking Elysium, see that sees is in cesium. Atoms, phonetics arranged. See us up in atoms, searching for peace, certainty, and ease. Certainly uneasy, sure it's brief, but life is worthwhile. I'll rest my case, but I'll wrestle with the evidence displayed. Like the value of anything ever gained is directly related to the effort you made to attain it. Consider the rich of you of lesser strain who only see your silver spoon of special grade as an instrument or tool in a ledger state. Those whose homes in ten and base in section eight attending grades in an inner city school feeling minuscule would then be grateful to pawn that for a little food. See how that perspective changed the minutes and seconds we are given our precious presented with the finishing end that is set in stone as a fitting attempt at a grave memo to optimize life and accept that we're blessed so I'll consider the grandfather clock's pendulum a metronome supplying a rhythm for my life's decisions to rhyme right against it wow when that metaphor mind state's depicted I could start to like all of the ticking as father time and a quantum court decides the quandary of a slovenly squandered life the qualms of slop qualifies as chrono crime so calmly wipe his manu hands across his eyes courts watch design frame face quarter eyes cogs combine roman numeral columns bind we columbine chuckle as a watch us die drowning fast in an hourglass picture picture our quick sand that is dripping struggling in intangible physics cement in which we're frantically fishing rubbing this hurricane lantern persistently counting back and wishing desperately to rewind this lamp urn cistern of sediment no buttons we're not on the set of click getting younger like we're benjamin but indeed we'd be behind in a sense as indebted to our age we are wiser and better experience fortifies until time has us rendered senile and decrepit alzheimer's dementia all types of ineptness i hope i'm immortalizing benevolence I hope I'm immortalizing benevolence, successfully providing my genesis, given guidance and lesson to hurt, shed light with my lessons, perhaps be effectively resurrected, survive through the memory of an audience member, and then kept alive through my lecture. Einstein addressed it despite a finite perspective of a pint-sized pie slice percentage. Time flies, it said that timeline skyline, it's endless. The mind's eyes intent. Hindsight presents highlights remembered. Primetime events with a limelight was shed of the life, life, light recollected. Fight nights regretted. No eternal sunshine experiments for your crimes or cryogenic sci-fi inventions for the right price invested. Just a lifeline that's ending with the twilight of death. I rate, mesmerized. There's no time, it's depressing. I write, memorized. There's no time like the present. Times of the essence. There's no time like the present. All right, repetitive, but I'm terrified that I might forget it. Times of the essence there's no time like the present starving for a taste of life i'd like some seconds you started the gym uh live wire mma how long ago did you start it 2012 five years ago wow um, and what were you where were you training before that uh so i came up through uh charlie pearson's charlie's combat club and arlington kickboxing academy with uh landon showalter so we had uh Three gyms that were all affiliated, AMMA, uh, which was Alderwood Mixed Martial Arts, Charlie's Combat Club, and AKA in Arlington. And, like, we were able to train at any three of those as long as we were, like, sparring and working hard. They allowed us to go to the brother or sister gyms and, and, and cross-train for free. So it was pretty cool to go get to train with some of the 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 other coaches and stuff. And my coach's coach, that was really cool. Wow, you'd get, like, different perspectives on it, right? Well, yeah, I'd see how my coach did it, and then I'd go and watch his coach teach it, and it was, like, just candy to me because I was like, yes, technique, technique, <laughs> technique. And then he just made us drill it. And I had a lot more in common as far as personality goes with my coach's coach. So anytime I went there, I wasn't an ass kisser, but I worked really, really hard to try to, you know, smooth – not smooth them over, but I, I wanted to impress them. Mm -hmm. They were great coaches. A good coach, you should want to feel like you want to impress. Hey, you admired him. Like you look at them and you're like, you work harder because they're just standing there. That's mm -hmm. a good coach. Mm -hmm. You'd be able to inspire you to push yourself. And I, I remember even when I started here, I found that I would stop at what was my perceived 100%. In reality, it was my 40%. And I found out that there was so much more because I had you and other people beside me who were pushing themselves. Their, themselves. Yeah, it's that feeding off people's energy. I mean, I call it Livewire MMA because my coach originally nicknamed me the Livewire, but now I call it Livewire MMA because the vibration of, like, like say, like an EKG, like it reads vibrations, right? Well, if somebody was to read the EKG of our gym while everybody's training, it would be off the charts, but, like, everybody's would somehow read similar, which would be cool, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Like you're almost uh, feeding off each other. Yeah, you get in that hive mindset, and that uh, community sets in. Community seems to be a big part, especially when I watch the kids, and they'll have a hard time, and it, it seems that people are looking to help them. Yeah. So, like the parents, especially you know when their kid are the individual that they bring or that they're uh, responsible for is starting to get whooped on or something. Uh, you know, they help coach and stuff and. They stay a little bit silent to help their kid think it through themselves and allow me to do the coaching, which is my job. But when their kid's put in the hurt on another kid, it's really cool to watch them stop and coach the other child that's getting beat up because I have parent A whose kid A is winning and then parent B who is kids getting his butt kicked basically has parent A coaching kid B and it's so rad. Oh, and that's so cool for their development because you realize that you're – your effort or your situation has nothing to do with who you are. Like yeah. if you can't draw very well, it doesn't mean you're a horrible person. You just need to spend more time drawing if you want. If you if that's what you want to be good at. Mm-hmm. And you have the war in between winning and losing and vying for people's affection. Like I've seen kids where uh, Coach Alfie, he would be coaching the other kid, right? And until they tapped him. And then the kid would get upset because Alfie didn't coach you know, him instead, the kid who's getting tapped. However, they have to confront that you don't pick sides, you know? Yeah. And that also they deal with ego at a much younger age. I find that when I'm coaching two kids, I'll be very biased a lot of the time because I'm the, like, because I started the gym and I'm the coach. I have like you, Coach Will, and Alfie, and Coach Anthony, and Ben, and all these guys <laughs> helping out that are on the team. And uh, it's it's really cool to be able to look at two kids that are getting after it and be like, hey, both you guys are doing awesome because I have coach over here coaching one kid and then the other coach coaching the other kid. I don't have to play favorites or play sides, but at the same time, when I need to coach somebody, I'm always coaching them with the underdog mm-hmm. in every sense. And if I if say for instance, I have a student that I've been working on a technique with individually for a month or so. And it's something that as an individual, they're progressing towards their next belt or they're progressing towards their next no-gi competition or it's something that we've been really working on, say like a triangle. And say, for instance, they're kicking somebody's butt in a round and they're having an awesome round and they're they're rolling tough. And, you know, they might have that other kid, you know, in a good position to do an arm bar. But because we've been working on triangles so much, I might, you know, coach them in the direction of the triangle there. And then they can start, you know, cutting angles and looking to set up triangles that way. And if they don't end up with their triangle, they can go back to the arm bar. Oh yeah. So you, so you tr- teach them to look for those openings essentially. Yeah. So if we're working on something, let's keep working on it. Mm-hmm. We're never going to be experts at it. Let's keep working on it. And then one day you're not going to need to work on it anymore. Mm. And then it's just going to fall into place. Oh, that's almost like when you try to focus on being able to play a particular uh, chord on a guitar as opposed to playing everything because you can get lost in the noise that way. Like you specialize. And did you... That's how you get a style. And did you know that from when you first started training in um, martial arts? Well, I had wrestling background. And so in wrestling, it's your, your almost your entire practice is focused on how well of a partner you are for your other partner so like having a good partner is key to like being able to uh have a good practice Mm -hmm. right yeah it goes back to that that community thing and also relying on each other and i've noticed when someone if they go completely floppy on me or they don't try to resist floppy mcflopperson yes (laughs) when we're trying to uh drill something then when i go to actually use it I, i don't really understand the proper pressure Right. If someone's not putting in the effort to be a partner for me, then I don't get the benefits out of it, which is really cool because you then you help each other out in some way. So in kids' class, we have this guy that nobody likes called Floppy McFlopperson, and he's laser. Like if you're doing side control, both his heels are on the ground. His hands are – the back of his hands are on the ground or her. And then like when you're trying to do a takedown or, or put him in a clinch, their head just goes down to where you would want to knee him, and they just flip-flop around, and they're horrible to be with. Nobody wants to be with Floppy McFlopperson. So I teach the kids what Floppy McFlopperson looks like and how to not be that person. And then I explain to them that, you know, you don't want to resist too much because you don't want to be a jerk either. Mm. You know, I'm just real realistic with them. Like, hey, look, obviously you both are trying to learn the move. So do it at a pace that's going to allow you both to do the move correctly. And don't react how 
you know, you're not supposed to. And how are you not supposed to react? you got to show the kids the right reactions too. So if we're in side control and I'm teaching them how to shrimp right to an arm bar, the person on top isn't just going to stand up. You know, they're not just going to flip-flop to their back or pull guard when they're in side control, you know. So the person has to react a certain way. They're probably going to try to stuff the hip, look for an underhook, maybe gooseneck the neck so that the person can't shrimp their knee through. Mm-hmm. Then when the person actually gets that knee through, then the person on top has to make the correct adjustment. But not the correct adjustment to defend the person on bottom's attempt to practice a technique, but in order to apply the correct amount of pressure so that you have that mirror image back at you the way that it should be. Like, you know, when you're grappling somebody good, it's a huge difference between grappling a white belt and a brown belt when you're just basically practicing the moves because the person that's the higher rank that's been doing it longer is going to react in a way that you're actually going to be able to do the move even easier. Things are going to make more sense for you the way they're supposed to because you're going to be getting the reaction that the move was actually designed and intended for. Oh, so it would be more realistic simulation. Yep. Essentially. That makes sense because when I'm doing like uh, any of the drills, there's been a big difference when like Alfred and I would start drilling together. And over time, we've kind of pushed each other in that way where you would notice the openings. And the things started solidifying more and I could understand them because I could see them in grappling. Like it was, um, it was more clear distinction between drilling and and grappling. Repetition is key. So you were able to take those, those techniques and you were able to apply them in repetition with having a good partner. Mm. You and you and Alfred have been training like really, really hard together lately. And every time I, I see you guys go together, you're learning, you're talking about the moves, you're, you're picking each other's brains on things. And, and, you know, that's what guys like me and JJ Lopez used to do, mm-hmm. you know, and me and Alan, you know, me and guys like that, you know, we used to just like grab a technique, talk about it, talk about what we didn't like about it, talk about how it would work for us. And then maybe like, you know, go our own way with it or, you know, go down some crazy rabbit hole and add a bunch of stuff to it, you yeah. know, like, you know, the 52 uh, triangle setups like we sat there and we learned that and then we picked the ones we wanted and then now we have like different classes we can teach based on you know sets of three so at a 52 you take them in sets of three and teach them if you have all those classes you can teach just off triangles so it spider webs out pretty far you know especially with technique and you know you i can take something that is completely outlandish to somebody who would be an instructor to teach to a white belt and I could break it down and make it basic just with simple steps. Mm-hmm. You know, anything's obtainable if you practice it the right way with the right person. Where'd you learn how to, how to teach like that? Is it? So I don't, I just like metaphors and I like to talk and I had a lot of good teachers growing up. So, uh, one of my wrestling teachers used to rhyme and for some <laughs> reason rhymes just make everything make sense. And he used to just always make little riddles and turn everything into a rhyme. His name is Rex Phoebus. He's my wrestling coach. He's hilarious. He's always dropping jokes, but like jokes that the punchline was the answer to the question so you didn't forget shit. Like you were always laughing but having fun with class. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, know, it was really cool because humor is a defense mechanism, right? And so is fighting. So is jujitsu. It's a defense mechanism, right? So if I can utilize one defense mechanism that I'm really good with, which is like humor, you know, we do stand up, you know, and we, we have fun with dropping jokes and things. If I can use something like humor to imply a point to get somebody to laugh, not only are they going to open up more and be less nervous around me, but it's going to subconsciously teach them what I'm trying to show them without being all serious. But then there's some people need the seriousness, and then that's where, you know, the Bruce Lee quotes come in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start getting quote yeah. city. But it, I've noticed the vibe that you have or how you describe things. It, it puts people at ease, at least from the people that I've talked to. Well, yeah. I mean, when you use, like, you know, when somebody's dropping their hands in kickboxing, right? You tell them, cowboys are lame. Don't be a cowboy. They look at me all crazy, and I'm like, pew, pew, pew. Cowboys shoot from the hips. Don't be one of those. What are you, from Dallas? Be a monk. And they look at me all crazy again because <laughs> they understand the first punchline, but now they're like, okay, why is coach telling me to be a monk? And I go, monks go back to their temples. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and they never forget that. Mm-hmm. You, and that's the same thing for a song. I mean, you remember like a catchy chorus, for instance. And more than you would like a teacher's lecture. Yeah. (laughs) So we recently had proving grounds. With uh, tournaments, how do you – what's your method for preparing students? 
So when it comes to preparing a student for a tournament, first off, I, uh, I introduced them to the tournament world. Now with Alfie, he's all on it. So he's like, hey, coach, can we go to this tournament? I'm like, yeah. But most of the time, I'm like, hey, so you've been working really hard. There's this tournament coming up, and I think that you should compete. And, and as an MMA fighter, um, it was always uh, the thing that we did to get ready for a fight or in between fights or if you know you take a loss in a fight you – or if you take a win and then you don't want to fight for a little while, you go to grappling tournaments to, to stay on top of your game. Well, jiu-jitsu is so big now these days, and not everybody's fighting yet. So many people want to compete in jiu-jitsu. It's really beautiful for me to be able to take a recreational student that doesn't want to get punched in the face, but I can still take them to a competition and watch them thrive and learn and get choked out and get humbled, all the same way that you would in a fight. But at the same time, they didn't have to you know, get struck. A lot of people just don't want to get struck, which is completely understandable. I'm a weirdo for liking to get punched, <laughs> but I don't like to get tapped out. I hate it. I hate getting submitted. I hate it. When I get tapped out by people here at the gym, I get stoked because obviously then I'm teaching or they're doing well. And, and if I didn't teach them the move that they did to me, like say for instance, when Jack slaps a leg bar or a knee lock on me or something, I legitimately have to go over that technique and learn. And that is so big for me as a coach to be able to do here at my own gym because as a coach, you lose out on those opportunities a lot. So something like a tournament is really, really cool to take people to, recreational student, fighter, you know, other coaches, because then I get to see how they react in a situation. They get to listen to me and, and, uh, and move and flow while I'm just coaching them. And it's a different relationship in the gym. I'm wearing a gi and I'm trying to choke them out and I'm trying to teach them that way. And in the tournament, it's like, it's like the fun part for me. Now it's time for them to perform like a director, except for I'm not as stressed out like a director would be because it's like, it's more of like a, it's more rewarding regardless because say for instance, they go out there and they get key locked or arm barred. Now I know what I can, now I have at least 50 things that I can take back to the gym and show them, you know, as far as, you know, Hey, you know, this is how you defend that key lock, but watch out for the straight arm lock. And then, Hey, stack that arm bar. You totally pulled away from it the wrong way. And I have no problem with telling a student that. And what's awesome is I'll tell it to them, uh, in, in a joke or in a humorous way. And if I feel like they piss me off, I'll tell it to them in a way that's dead serious, but in a respectful way. And then we'll know what we have to work on at the gym. So a tournament is a place to go take all of your skills, efforts, techniques, and all of the things that you've been working so hard on in the gym and test them against people from other schools. And get feedback on how far you've come and what you need to work on. By you, your coach. You know, sometimes your opponent will tell you, hey, when you were, you know, when you had your hand right here, if you would have reached down and grabbed a, this gi grip, you would have had that choke. And you're just like, ah, oh, dude. And then like... <laughs> You're not even sure if your coach knows that move or not. So it's like it's pretty cool. To, and then you get to take it back to your gym and share it with all your teammates and stuff like that. And the desire to uh, to win, and not even in just the competitive level. Sure, for some, it's to be number one, but also just to do your best, right? You, you go back there with even more intensity the next time. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard not to – it is fun. You don't have to take it serious. But there's that tone to it where, you know, you, you want to get on that podium. So when Alfred did his first tournament, his goal – was to go out there and work on things and see how he was going to do. And he wasn't sure how he was going to do. And he was nervous. And, you know, he did great. He did really, really good. Um, he took third, right? Or second? Second. Second. He took second his first one, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so we went back, and it was his last tournament as a white belt. So in the meantime, since tournament one to tournament two um, at Proving Grounds, now Alfie was like having goals. He'd been watching YouTube videos and taking them to me and asking me if they were legit and like working on them with me and stuff. And, you know, uh, you know, not that I know the answer if it's legit or not, but it was just nice that my student had that respect to be like, Hey, look, I'm learning this. I want to know your variation of it. And I could be like, well, that's awesome. I love that move here. Here you go. And then we can collaborate. And, uh, it it was really cool just to watch somebody to go from not knowing and just doing it because they've been working hard at it to having goals and ambition. And like they had a teammate now that they've brought up and encouraged to do it with them. And I mean, Will, you've already done a tournament before, but this is like the first one you legitimately prepared for. Mm -hmm. Like you really felt like you went into it, you trained hard for it and like, you know, everything, you know, went as planned. You did great. You learned a lot. You know what I mean? 
But Alfie wouldn't have been able to take second place had he not had you as a training partner to train with to get ready for that. I mean, maybe he would, maybe he had, but that camaraderie and bringing up a student, like you've been here way longer than him. And he like, kind of like grabbed you under his wing to get you ready for that shit, which is like really, really big. And what's cool is you already knew you already had the tools. You just, you were, you were not nervous, but you were in a sense. Mm -hmm. So it was cool to watch you like come out of your shell. Like what we were talking about with Joey in class. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, little Joey, you know, doesn't say anything ever. And now he's like vocalizing things and like being like, you know, himself and p- becoming a little human. <laughs> yeah. You know? Becoming a little human. <laughs> <laughs> and that was nice to have someone with to share that camaraderie with, because I noticed in preparing for that tournament, it just it had a lot of energy to it. Like that kickboxing match with Rory. And Jesse, for instance, there was a lot of energy behind it, having to share that experience. And Alfred and I got to a point where he's like, man, I should, I can't tell you what I'm working on anymore because you're going to know how to beat me. And I thought about that for a minute. You're right. But we both came to the conclusion that we're only going to make each other better because you find the counters to the counters. You, you. Uh, force each other not to have weaknesses. Jita koi, which is uh, one of the two tenets of judo. Jita koi means mutual benefit welfare. So, <clears throat> perfect example would be you and Alfie and me. If my goal is to make you a better grappler than me, and then your goal is to make Alfie a better grappler than you, and then Alfie's goal is also to make me a better grappler than him and you a better grappler than him. And my goal is also to make Alfie a better grappler than me. Then no matter what, we're constantly going to be pushing each other, changing and adapting, learning, maneuvering into different situations, pulling out different tools that we're not supposed to use, um, adapting into other styles of, of fighters. You know, I was getting uh, a fighter ready for a fight recently and uh, his opponent, I watched some video on his opponent and I was just like, this guy's a weirdo. Good thing I'm good at impersonations. And so when I sparred, I just goofed out like the guy's opponent. And, you know, when he went out to do that fight, it was just like really cool because that, 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 I don't know, it kind of just acted like that person for them to be able to, to work with. Now, of course, it's not the exact same, but just that visualization mm-hmm. is really, really key to get your mindset for something like a tournament or a fight. Um, the tournament was really, really fun. I mean, we had Drew up in there. We had you. Uh, we had uh, uh, Ben Jessup's kids, Aaron and Eli. Uh, we had, uh, you know, they both took first place. That was awesome. Ooh. We had uh, Brooke. Um, she took second. And I believe Roy, her cousin, took second also. Um, those kids are so awesome. So I had four kids from kids' class do it. And then uh, we had uh, three adults. Three adults, yeah. Three adults. We had Mr. Will, we had Alfie, and uh, and uh, Drew. Mm-hmm. And Jack, too. Oh, Jack as well. Yeah, Jack is uh, – Jack, I was thinking in my head like a coach. Jack – we had four adults do it. Jack uh, did his first tournament as a purple belt, right? And also one of his first times competing – I think it was his first time competing in gi. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Yeah, so when he went in there, he went in there with like the mindset that, you know, he's going to have some things to take from it. And when he had rounds, he he had some really, really good rounds. And um, it was just really cool to see how aggressive and how, you know, h- hard on himself he was after because you could see the fight spirit in him to want to train hard for the next one. And I was like, dude, think about it. Watch this. I go up and asked his first opponent. I said, hey, yeah. Uh, how many years have you been a purple belt? Kids had his purple belt for like five years and has just been doing every single tournament. And so like Jack and that guy had an epic role. It went like the whole time. And, you know, I was just like, dude, you're far beyond where you're at now. There's not a lot of purple belts out here competing. And the higher rank you get in jujitsu, the less and less people you see competing because it's almost like they're trying to protect their pride, you know? It's so yeah. weird. Or they're just old and broken and they're teaching, you know, which is cool too. Is, I would imagine when you get really far it'd be hard not to let your ego take you over big time especially when you have students oh yeah because you have that issue of what if your students start tapping you all the time or no what if you get your ass kicked in the tournament in front of all your students oh yeah, yeah. 
But that the, I was the opposite. I won two absolute division uh, belts and with no weight classes in submission tournaments. You know, not too recently, uh, a few years back, with all of my students there watching me, including my kids' class. That shit pumps me up. Like, yeah. yeah, I gotta get after it. <laughs> I go into fired fight, up. I go into fight mode. You know, but it'd be weird if you were grappling one of your teammates. <laughs> oh yeah, right? that would be. Yeah, it'd be weird. That yeah, was my first gi uh, tournament too, and it was. It was interesting because the difference between gi and pancreation, it's not slower necessarily. You could just have the opportunity for holds and you look for different things. Well, you're less slippy slidey. Guard is a lot harder to get out of. Yeah. You're like all that friction. And it's hotter, you know. And I I like gi tournament a little more because I feel like I have more options and I feel like if I'm in no gi, then it's a little more serious. Like, I'm tested because, like, I'm a professional fighter. So if I'm doing no gi, like, I'm expected to win. Whereas in gi, it's, like, fun. Like, mm. It's a prop that I'm using. You know, like, if we're having a nunchuck fight. You know, because you're allowed to do chokes with the gi. So I look at, like, ninja stuff. Oh, so like, you're playing. Yeah, I'm playing. When I'm in a gi, I'm only playing. When I'm in a no gi, it's, like... <laughs> It's so serious and it's like hard and I just want to punch and like kick and I mean, Nogi's awesome. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love that 10th planet flow and all that good stuff. But like when I'm not wearing a gi, you best believe I'm shrimping up to my feet and I'm getting front headlock and I'm not going to pull guard. Mm -hmm. I'm not a guard puller. But if I'm wearing a gi, I'll pull guard all day. (laughs) It's the only time I get to because I'm playing. Yeah. Right. Different association. Has it always been like that for you? Well, if you're in a real life fight. Sitting on your butt probably isn't the best idea. They have like a knife or a gun or maybe like they're going to kick you in the face or something, right? But I would like maybe avoid a takedown. And if they were strong enough to take me down and then I ended up with guard, then that's or if I would shrimp to guard, you know, there. Mm-hmm. I'd make them work for it. Just like in a professional MMA fight, I'm not going to pull guard. Mm-hmm. Um, I did once and Demetrius Johnson yelled at me. Oh, really? Yeah, big time, dude. Mighty Mouse. The, oh. the pound for pound best fighter in the world. 125-pound UFC champion looked at me, pointed at me, laughed at me, made fun of me by name. He goes, I don't ever want to see you pulling guard again, Koble. You know better than that. Yeah, dude. <laughs> did you real? Did the, the feeling set in while you were in the fight? He said it to me after while oh. I was all beat up after I lost. I was like, what? Oh. Oh. <laughs> I had a badass fight with um, – with uh with Austin Arnett and you know we went three rounds and uh it was the third round and I was losing on the judges scorecard and I had a really good Kimura and I was up against the cage and the opportunity to pull guard and get a Kimura was right there so I did it and like I almost got the Kimura <laughs> but there was only like 30 seconds left in the third round and I just like you know when you're in a situation like that pulling guard is not a good idea now in a submission tournament if I was down by points, da 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 yada yada, hell yeah, do a flying triangle Kimura armbar slash Oma Pajojo. You know what I mean? Just get down on it, you know? And Oma Pajoto is where you throw potatoes at their face while you choke them with your shin. <laughs> I made that up. You'd surprise them. Yeah. The, in the tournaments, so when you see people compete, what's the common obstacle? That they've yet to overcome to be successful. Warming up correctly. Every time. I, I was seeing bone dry. And it, as me as a coach, it's like up to me to make sure they get warmed up. That's why I always wear sweatpants and shorts and like shit like that that I can roll around in and get all sweaty. And I take them to the back warm-up room and I'm like, hey, get warmed up. The kids, oh my god, they just want to sit there and look at the concession stands and goof off with each other in the stands and eat junk food. And, you know, and, and the parents are like, go warm up. You know, and like... I'm yelling at them to go warm up, but there's so much going on. So it's very, very important that if you're going to compete, warm up correctly. It'll get all those stupid nerves out. You'll be sweaty and ready to go. Big time. What does correctly warming up look like to you? You know, um, when you show up to jujitsu class, you know, right after you bow, that 10-minute interval, do that stuff. (laughs) Sprawl, shrimp some. We'll grab a partner and work some arm bar drills and some takedowns, you know, do some squat hops, maybe do a few 10, 10, 10s, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Get the jitters out of it. Yeah, there. sprint around and get warmed up, you know, because when I fight now, I have to do this crazy warm up, like, because I, like, my coach makes fun of me and says it's because I'm older. Do you dance like a tiger? I pretty much have to, like, sprint, 
like 30 sprints, like big long ones. I have to like do a bunch of jumping jacks. I have to jump rope. I have to do a bunch of rap songs. I have to like, I have to do a lot of stuff to get ready for a fight. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I have to have like this big ritual. And if I don't do that whole ritual, I forget everything. And I, I, I've heard rituals to be a very effective thing, especially when they're consistent ones. So well, what's the same when you do What's your time. fight or flight? You know, what's your, what's your anger your system, your medulla oblongata, right? Mm-hmm. So if, you're, system, yeah. if your medulla oblongata is your R complex, right? And the R complex is responsible for ritualistic things like lizards with heat rocks and collections of knickknacks and collecting shiny things, you know, like the humans do. Mm-hmm. We're very ritualistic and we get that from our medulla oblongata. And your medulla oblongata also is what makes you all pissed off when somebody's trying to fight you. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like your anger button. And alligators have huge, gigantic medulla oblongatas. That's off the movie The Water Boy. He's like, <laughs> Can anybody tell me why alligators have oversized medulla oblongatas? Or no, he's like, Why alligators get mad so easy? And uh, Bobby Boucher's like, Well, well Mama says that the, the alligator, um, he has so many teeth and something like that. And the, the doctor's like, No, actually, it's uh, it's the medulla oblongata. And he's like, Well, no, Mama says. And, he's, <laughs> and then that's when he tackles the teacher and beats him up. Oh, no. But, yeah, that movie came out when I was like nine. And that's where I, what I learned of what a medulla oblongata was. So, I mean, I got to thank that movie. You know? Yeah. And then later on, I learned what the R complex was, our lizard brain, you know, with mm-hmm. fight or flight. And you should know all these things as a fighter because you should know what where the adrenaline's coming from. You know, where the where the tryptamine's going. You know what I mean? You know what to expect because you get like the deer in the headlights feeling sometimes. Yeah, it's like when, you know, I'm sure somebody's had an alcoholic beverage, right? And then when they have the alcoholic beverage, then they feel that drunkenness. So then even when they're not drunk, they still can kind of feel what it's like to be drunk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get into that fight set, that mindset where you're visualizing somebody literally trying to kill you and you are actually trying to kill them. And then once you are in that mindset, then you can start to practice things correctly at the right speed and the right pace, but at the same time maintain the safety of your partner with control. And that's why it's so mental. Not, you know, because you I had confidence that I was going to win. No, it was that I had confidence that I was going to complete that technique enough to make it efficient enough to get my cardio to a point where now I can efficiently apply that technique in the right place, in the right time that I set up correctly. So like when you're, so you say when you're in the fight or flight, um, the chaotic feeling of fight or flight, telling your body to do the technique, that is the thing that is more effective than, you know, some like stoicism or quotes or anything like that. It's Visualizing just, myself in the fight or flight mode Visualizing myself in the fight in a meditative state is what is going to allow me to train at the correct pace for it. So I'm even if so, if I haven't been in a fight before, it's going to be very hard to to mindset to meditate to get to where I need to go. And if I've sparred and stuff, then you know I can I can kind of do what I'm trying to do. But now that you've been to a tournament, now that you've done that kickboxing match, you can actually visualize prehand. What can happen? So you landed a 310, right? You can set a goal for your next fight to win by kicking the guy so many times with a low 10 after you throw that three that they just can't give him the decision. They have to give you a decision because of how many points you scored with a three low 10. Then you go into the visualization. Round one, touch gloves, three low 10. Jab, jab, three low 10. Circle into the right hand, pivot three low 10 just keep that shit going you know and when you go out there in that fight it's just going to be like boom three low 10 three low 10 now let's say we're getting ready for a tournament right uh they put that left leg forward and i'm going to shoot down for that imanari sweep right if they're tall right so say for for instance like anybody alfie goes against (laughs) or anybody you go against right so they step forward you hit that imanari sweep you hit that Imanari sweep. You hit that Imanari sweep. You hit that Imanari sweep. Now, you can do it in practice over and over again. Now, the Imanari sweep is this ridiculous upside-down takedown shot at the ankle where you throw your head underneath your arm and your body legitimately, like, twists up into the hip, knocks them down, and you get, like, a heel hook or shin stretch or what so have you from the leg control position. Well, 
if you do the Minari in practice just with a partner, it's cool. They let you get it. It's fun. But the first couple times you do it on somebody in sparring or in grappling, they'll usually drop a knee on your face or just like kind of step out of the way and you just crash land and hit the ground and look like an idiot. And that embarrassment, that being humbled is what's going to go into the next technique. Now, it can either go into the next, you're not going to try it and you're going to just go back to the basics and set up a basic takedown and take them down like you're supposed to, or you're going to get pissed and you're going to keep doing that move over and over and over until you're hitting it solid, right? So I had a real hard time with the Imanari. And then all of a sudden, I just started practicing it in weird competitions. And then now it's just a fun move that just flows. It's like natural, you know? Mm. It's not scary anymore. It's not something I want to overcome. Now there's other moves that are scary that I want to overcome. So you essentially understand the counters to them. Mm-hmm. And you ex- you experience using that technique in the in competition or in in the middle of rolling and you learn how to do that technique calmly and effectively during those times you also learn how to fail it Mm. calmly and effectively during those times so when if because what am i going to do when i fail so if your opponent has a counter to it you know what to do in practice if i mess it up my partner laughs at me and we move around a little bit in a fight if i mess it up my opponent neither gets north south or, you know, if it's a fight, they come down with a big hammer fist. So I have to be ready for the reaction that I'm going to get with that amount of adre- adrenaline going in, in at and that time. That comes down to specialization because if you specialize, you you will begin to know that, that technique well. It, your specialization should be in just practicing the techniques that you want to learn. Mm-hmm. So if I specialize in, like, leg locks, I hate thinking that. Because there's leg locks that I'm really good at, and there's ones I'm horrible at. If I was a specialist in leg locks, I'd be good at all of them, mm-hmm. right? Well, like, there's some chokes that are really cool, and then some <laughs> chokes from that exact same position that I don't think are that cool. They're just because I'm not as good at them as I should be. I didn't spend as much time with them, and it geek out on them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like the respect that I have for all of the moves is is really, really big. The respect for the ones that I have that I haven't put the time and effort into is obviously not as big because if I respected them, I would have put the time and effort into them. So those are going to be the ones that probably beat me. Mm. The ones that I have spent the time and effort failing, maneuvering, applying, and doing correctly, those are the ones I'm either going to win with and that are not going to beat me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to constantly be filling the holes in your gaps. and Constantly disposing of what you know well to begin on things that you don't know very well, Mm -hmm. right? So one of my favorite Bruce Lee quotes, <laughs> it's, I don't fear the man that practices a thousand kicks. It's, I fear the man that practices one kick a thousand times. And that goes back into that, going back to the basics and repetition. But if that man, now let's go into a larger scale. If that man practices one kick a thousand times and then practices another kick a thousand times and practices another kick a thousand times, a thousand times contradicts Bruce Lee's quotes because Bruce Lee says, don't condition it's like saying, set the bar high. Mm-hmm. Why would you set the bar high? Just don't set one at all. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that way no it's... No expectations. The sky is the limit. There is no limit. No expectations. No conditioning. What are you conditioning yourself for? When I say that I'm conditioning myself for a fight, what are you conditioning yourself for? You should be working harder than your opponent no matter what. Mm-hmm. Not conditioning yourself for something because as soon as you condition yourself, then you set the bar now, when I'm doing sprints and, and jump rope and bag work and circuits, what do I call it? Conditioning, right? And, and, and what happens is, you know, I'll play into that word in my own brain, but I have to keep constantly reminding myself that there has to be no bar, right? Especially if you condition yourself into a, into a, a good move, you might condition yourself into only knowing it, how to do it that way. Mm. But if you repetitiously practice it to where you understand it, then you can have an open mind. Mm-hmm. Instead of having yeah, instead of having a closed-minded approach, is in being rigid in your expectation. You're just being open to. It's like a chess player doesn't. A chess player or a checkers player never conditions their game. Mm -hmm. You never hear that. There's no conditioning in the game of chess. You practice. Mm -hmm. You 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 play, right? So you should be practicing and playing, and all of your efforts in a fight are in, in in that. It's like when uh, somebody with a wrestling background comes in uh, and they're asking, is it going to mess up their 
wrestling game if they learn jiu-jitsu? And, you know, a lot of high school kids have that question. And then vice versa. If I do wrestling season this year, is it going to mess up my jiu-jitsu? And one of the stigmatisms was is that since the rules are so different, it causes people to make bad choices when they go back to the other sport. But then as a coach who has read a lot of the Tao of Yeet Kune Do and is, is really big on having no style and more of like a like a like a like a water type thing, like a be like water type thing, like you know, like a Bruce Lee type thing. Uh, then what's going to happen is it's going to be easier for me to to uh, to point them in the right direction of not getting stuck on one thing. Mm-hmm. So you, you see that one system doesn't have the answer. Yeah, you have to take the tools from the systems that you see fit for yourself and sharpen them the way you feel fit. So a good coach isn't going to be like, this is how you do it. This is how I do it, so this is how you're going to do it. That you might get by, but a good coach is going to point people in the right direction. It's like, just a pointer. It's going to send you to where he feels you need to go to learn what you need to learn. Like encouraging self-discovery. Yeah. And I see that with the kids a lot because there was one approach where I see a kid and they're not doing it exactly how it should be. So one of two options would be, oh, at least they're doing it and they're actually trying to. And you just mentioned something. The other one would be talk with them. And step it out to do everything exactly as it is, regardless like of their age, kind of. But then you take all the fun out, like you take all the fun out of it, and you take the learning out of their own hands because they're exploring. Maybe if they got sidetracked, right? Like they they added an armbar on the end. Yeah. They're trying to figure out how to implement it. They learn different, or they're interested in something. And the fact that they're interested in exploring is the most positive thing out of it all. Teaching kids how to shrimp has always been like a really big learning thing for me because it's so simple to teach adults. But the one thing that I noticed that makes even the goofiest of kids learn how to shrimp easy is showing why you would shrimp. Oh, the example, like, like, okay, everybody, this is what you do. It seems like everybody learns how to shrimp our elbow block before they actually learn how to get guard with it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So if you're like, all right. It's how you get somebody huge off of you. you know? <laughs> and if you roll the other way, um, like in wrestling, then mm-hmm. you're going to get choked out and beat up. Yeah. In the real world, maybe worse. You can't scoot away from them then. Uh, nope. So you got to scoot your butt away. I never thought of it like that. That makes a lot of sense. Right? It's like, hey, everybody, this is how you throw it too, and everybody's in the mirror. Right? That's why <laughs> I don't like karate katas. Because mm-hmm. it's a, a kata. It's like a dance. You're just doing something in the mirror against like yourself, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But like... To have a partner holding mitts for you is a whole other world. That's yeah. why I love the style of Muay Thai, because mainly because of the training. Mm. You know, you could train anything a certain way and make it better, just mm-hmm. based on how you practice it. Yeah, you can take Muay Thai training and you can figure out how to use that in Jiu-Jitsu in some way. If you took Muay Thai training and turned it into a karate kata and then practice it like that, your Muay Thai would suck. Really? Yeah, but if you took like your karate and you practice it like Muay Thai, like hands-on, you know hitting and like learning and actually repetition against somebody that's firing back at you with like counters like we hold mitts for each other you know mm-hmm. you know three two three roll the you know this come back with that throw a knee clinch you know pivot angle then what happens is you you have that same thing as like somebody shooting a takedown on you and you stuffing it and sprawling and taking their back and getting your hooks in and then they do that somersault that somebody would do in a real fight and then you stay tied to their back and then get the rear naked choke or the arm bar, you know, or the bow and arrow if you're in a gi or something like that, you know. And you can't learn all that until you've rolled around on the ground with it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's very similar, striking and the grappling. It just comes down to how you train realistically, repetitiously, and with good good partners, you know. Mm-hmm. People that are going to make you better because iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. You want know, to become a champion, you become one. And the whole idea of not knowing. Out with them, that's what I meant. Is like a lack of knowledge. And each one of us has our own unique characteristics of knowledge that we bring to the table. You can't push yourself. I mean, what are you going to introduce yourself to? I mean, you could read books, but that's still working with someone else. That's working with an author to build your knowledge. It's always, you're still communicating with somebody. Yes, exactly. And body language is so key for learning and communication. Like, yeah, I have so many students that like, they they can speak English. They just don't like to talk or, (laughs) or they, do speak a lot of Spanish and they like to talk and are, you know, vice versa or whatever. And I communicate with everybody just fine. Just body language. You know, I'm pretty wacky. So, I mean, anybody can, 
everybody understands cartoons, <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's, it's easy to communicate that way. But, you know, today I actually had a majority of Spanish speaking students in kickboxing class. And I was saying the combos all in Spanish and just not, and just having fun with it, you mm-hmm. know? And like, it was just cool because like, you didn't even need language. I could have done the whole thing without saying anything. Mm-hmm. You don't need words. I mean, jujitsu, kickboxing, my experience with all of it, like the funnest times are the quietest times, you know, yeah. well, especially when you're going back and forth with someone, whether it's sparring or if it's rolling. Or let them think of the metaphor that you were going to use on your own or mm. let them think of their own. I love it when a student's like, is it like this? And then they say, when I'm like some crazy metaphor they made up on their own. And the only reason they even came up with something wacky like that is because I said it reminded me of like a cow running <laughs> through a field, like mm. getting chased by trucks or something like, you know, like <laughs> i don't know and isn't it such a cool thing how much you you and your students influence one another over time yeah and, i'm totally influenced by everybody here and yeah it's for the better always because you know as a community as a whole everyone's just looking for fulfillment at least mostly and over time we all just get better together and the thing is is once you start getting those students that are really key and prime like the ones that are always there and the ones that start helping coach and the ones that start bringing their kids and stuff like that then what happens is they don't judge you if they catch you slipping they 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 bring it to your attention and they help bring you up so it's like you have a group of coaches and my business has been open for almost six years now and you know it's been quite a learning experience you know there's been a lot of tournaments we go to and uh just this this tournament right here uh was really cool to see my team just all working together and it wasn't all because of me it was because of them and the hard work that they were putting in the efforts that they put forth and it was almost like they were allowing me to be a part of it which was really relieving and cool because in the past it had just all had been like just me trying to do everything mm-hmm. with all of my students. I mean, they worked hard and they put in the effort to get there, but I had to hold their hand. And now it's like everybody's just putting forth the effort that needs to be done. And so Livewire is really exploding right now in the best way with technique, with rhythm, with uh, energy, with good vibes, good people, families, fighters, grapplers. We do jujitsu six days a week now. Yeah. You know, that's pretty gnarly. You know, and it's inspired by a coach, though, man. Yeah. And everyone else around, like and people who are working hard and they want to be the best version of themselves. It, it's, it's hard not to do anything but, even on your your hardest days, you know. Yeah. 